Welcome to the Link to Prevention podcast, hosted by the KSARC Prevention Team. On today's episode, we invited a few staff members from KSARC to help us answer some student questions. When we are in classrooms, students are always given the opportunity to ask us questions and can do so anonymously. We decided to use today's episode to answer some of these frequently asked questions that we receive from students and give our listeners some insight about the types of things middle and high school students are asking. The staff members joining us today are Alex Yanni, Jordan Walker, and Nate Lyles, who will be answering these questions. Alex and Nate bring a clinical perspective as therapists, and Jordan brings his legal expertise as a legal advocate. But I'll go ahead and let them introduce themselves now. We'll start with Alex. Yes, well, thank you for having me. I am a therapist here at KSAR, and so what that means is I meet with uh, individual people to talk about, to process the different types of sexual violence that they've experienced in a uh, therapeutic way. We offer different types of trauma-focused treatments, and so that's what I administer when I'm meeting with with people. And you specifically are also located in one of the schools that we provide prevention education to. Yeah, that's right. Um, I'm actually located at um, Hazen High School as well as Renton High School. So I get to interact with the high school population both in those settings and then also if they want to come to our office or be seen over Zoom. Jordan, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, so outside of being the resident mascot, um, I am one of the legal advocates. What that means is I basically help clients through the entire criminal justice system from possibly reporting a crime or sexual assault through any court processes or hearings that clients and their families may want to attend, may want to give their input in, and basically just making sure that our clients' voices are heard, even if at the end of the day, what they want doesn't happen, at the very least, they need to be heard. And lastly, Nate. So I am a therapist here at KSARC. Um, I've been here for about a year, um, and I absolutely love what I do. Um, I work with children and teenagers, as well as adults that have been impacted by sexual abuse and violence. Okay, let's start with our first student question. Why are people sometimes too scared to report sexual harassment, even if they might know that they won't get in trouble for it? Uh, Yeah, this is a great question. So there are many different reasons as to why someone either doesn't want to report or thinks that they can't. They may still be living or have close interactions with their offender. Their offender could be another family member or their boss or their teacher or their coach. And they worry about safety for themselves and their family or other people that they are close to. Many people who have experienced sexual abuse or assault or harassment may think that they will not be believed if they tell or will be blamed because they were part of what happened. Some of the times these messages have been told to them over and over by their offender. Offenders can be really sneaky and make it seem like what they are doing is normal or that everyone does this or that we're supposed to do this or that this would be helpful if we did this or they just tell us to ignore our feelings of uncertainty um, if we have them. Okay, he was my boyfriend. Does it still count as sexual assault? 
Yeah, I think this is a really interesting question. And it's something that comes up pretty frequently, you know, unfortunately, sexual offenders are not always strangers to us. Um, So we are taught um, at an early age that it's stranger danger, and really just to be kind of scared of others that we're not familiar with. And sometimes we don't look at the people that are surrounding us in our own lives, right? Um, So sometimes there are friends, unfortunately, sometimes there are family members, or even people that we're in uh, relationships with. So it may be common for survivors of sexual violence, right? to to wonder if they can be sexually assaulted by their romantic partner. The answer to this is yes. You know, the people we are in relationships with uh, can commit acts of sexual violence against us. But I think it's a good rule of thumb to kind of be aware of safe individuals in our lives, people that we trust, people that we feel safe around, um, and ultimately people that we feel comfortable with Uh, sharing personal information. When someone is sexually assaulted, you know, they may have many thoughts swirling around in their heads, and they might also, you know, experience a lot of varying emotions and degrees of those emotions, right? And it's really hard to make sense of of what's happened following a sexual uh, assault. Um, So when someone is sexually assaulted, it's important we have people in our lives that we feel comfortable with talking about what happened, um, and ultimately that we know will support us. It's also really important, I think, to understand that no type of relationship ever permits sexual assault to occur. Oof, yeah, this is a really uh, good question and tricky one. However, we kind of have to look at the basics. If permission was not given or if you felt pressured because this person was my partner or boyfriend, then yes, it is sexual assault. Age is also a factor when it comes to participating in sexual activities Uh, So in the state of Washington, we cannot legally give permission to participate or consent in sexual activities until we're the age of 16. Uh, And even when we are 16, there are laws protecting us if there are people um, that are wanting to engage in different sexual activities. Um, So if they're older than 18 in a power of position, such as a work supervisor or coach, these are still not uh, consensual encounters even if this person is our romantic partner, boyfriend, girlfriend. Okay, next question. How common is it for alcohol to make you commit to acts you normally wouldn't or do things that you normally wouldn't like sexual assault? Wow, okay. Um, I'm going to say completely uncommon. I think how we look at alcohol consumption needs to be framed from the perspective of being uninhibited. You know, do we make mistakes when we drink? Absolutely. Even adults do. You know, it's that's just a part of life. However, drinking is never an excuse to hurt somebody. And sexual assault is just that. I've never seen it on any of the cases I've worked on, Jessica. I'm not sure if you could say the same, but, you know, I've never seen a case in which alcohol was successfully used as a defense for hurting, sexually assaulting, raping anybody. Okay, next question. Do you have to give consent for a kiss because that could ruin the vibe? Yeah, that's such a great question. And it's something that um, I've definitely experienced um, with clients that come into our offices, right? So consent is so important. um, And I always teach it at the very beginning of therapy, just to provide that foundational kind of um, information. Because consent is something that we're going to do Um, in romantic aspects of our lives, but also during times when we're just doing seemingly meaningless tasks throughout the day, right? So it's super important, especially as we develop relationships with individuals, right? So one of the first things, again, that I teach is when outlining consent is that we are in charge of our own body. 
things, right? Um, I get to decide what I do or don't do with my own body. Um, and one of the ways that I used to, uh, to teach the rules of consent is kind of by this fries model, right? So like these French fries, right? So F-R-I-E-S. Um, and this essentially involves consent being a couple of things, freely given, reversible, it's informed, it's also enthusiastic, and it's really specific. So I use a lot of examples when describing consent with folks. Um, first, consent is given because the person wants to. So not because they have to, not because they're pressured, and not because they're forced. Um, so for consent to be possible, the word no must also be as much of an option as yes, right? You have to have an active decision in being able to say yes or no about it, uh, an activity that you engage in. Next, if a person says you know yes to something and then decides that they want to change their mind, that activity has to, has to be stopped, right? So you can opt in or opt out of something at any moment. Next, consent must be based on being informed, right? So for example, both individuals need to be informed about is what is being consented to, right? I've got to understand and you've got to understand. So next, consent must be something um, that's enthusiastically agreed to. So I have to have the ability to enthusiastically say yes. Um, I have the ability to say no. Um, and it's ultimately something that we're typically not on the fence about. We also want to be able to tell that the person is also excited to do whatever that we're engaging in. Finally, consent must be specific. And what I mean by this is, for example, a person uh, must consent to whatever activity it is each time. So I always give this example, you know, if I was hanging out with a friend of mine and they asked me to go to the mall with them, I may consent to going, right? I've got an eye on a, a piece of clothing or I want to buy the latest bit of technology, right? However, on the way, uh, my friend stops at the grocery store. They do their weekly grocery shopping. They also stop at the phone store to pick up a new phone. I didn't consent to go on all of these other stops, right? I ultimately consented to going to the mall. So consent is very important, especially when engaging, you know, in personal relationships, especially romantic ones. Um, and consent applies to all situations we, we engage in with our partners, even kissing. So as people, we have the right to consent or not consent to any activity with our partners, our friends, our family members. And it kind of goes back to my original point that we are ultimately in charge of our own bodies and we get to decide what we do. Okay, and for our last question, Jordan, this might be one that you can answer for us. Is sexual assault hard to prove in court? Compared to other crimes, sexual assault is harder to prove because unlike in, say, a murder investigation or like even the theft of a car, what you're going to miss in most sexual assault cases is physical evidence. And so at the end of the day, what you might have in court is you know, our, your client's word or, you know, your child's word against someone else's. And it's really hard to predict how that process will go because it's so limited in the evidence that is available. Any possible mistake on our client's part, if it's memory, if it's, you know, things that we know sexual assault survivors experience, things that are completely normal, get weaponized against survivors and it's not uncommon for a defense attorney in these types of cases to attribute you know this traumatic experience as a false memory or you know oh they changed their mind you know in the middle and so that's why they're saying it's not consensual court is not a it's not a place where survivors are going to feel validated necessarily but our role 
Well, my role as a legal advocate is to make sure that there's that validation coming from outside of the courtroom because only a small percentage of cases get to court. I think it's, or get to trial, sorry. I think it's like 6% of cases. And so when it comes to proving it in court, we can face conflict on both sides with both defense and the prosecutor's office. We've seen, you know, the King County Prosecutor's Office not take certain cases to, to trial and pled other egregious crimes like class A felonies down to gross misdemeanors. And so really when stepping into this court process, the prosecutor, you know, they may say they believe you and they very well may, but legally it's become so difficult to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the sexual assault occurred. When for the years leading up to that, we've been with our clients, we've been talking with them, we've been supporting them, and we know what toll it's taken. And so, yes, it, it can be hard to prove in court. But I think in this role, we have opportunities to push back, to try to make the court system more representative of our community, the survivors included. Thank you all so much for the work that you do. We really appreciate you coming on and answering these student questions for us today. Until next time, stay curious, be kind, and take care. Find out more about the services offered and to stay up to date on everything that prevention is doing, check us out online at ksarc.org. That's K-C-S-A-R-C dot org. This podcast was funded in part by a grant awarded by the Department of Justice. Points of view in this podcast are those of the author and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of the Department of Justice. Grants funded are administered by the Office of Firearm Safety and Violence Prevention under the Public Safety Unit at the Washington State Department of Commerce.